Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to meet him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord, we are just so, so grateful that we can turn our eyes to you. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you, Lord, that you have joined us together, Lord, from the different stations of life, Lord, that we were in, the different backgrounds we have. And, Lord, you have brought us together, Lord, and you are forming a body with which to display your glory to the world. We thank you that even though, Lord, all of us cannot gather right now, some of us are watching online, some of us are listening, Lord, through our phones, we thank you that you are not limited by time nor space. So please come. Please come, O God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, because you have promised that you will give us your Holy Spirit to show us great things about you, Lord. So come this morning and let us see this great Christ and let us marvel at him and let us see his plans and his purposes in time and in eternity, O God, so that we can be captivated, Lord, and go out and display your glory in the world. We thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. And so if you are watching us from your house, from wherever you are, um, maybe you are with a few friends, you are with family, we are looking forward to next week. That's all I can say. (laughs) We are looking forward to next week because what we are experiencing right now, many more of us will be able to experience it, okay? So just hang in there for a few more days and then we'll be able to gather together um, again. Maybe not every time, but we'll be able to gather, you know, more, more frequently together. And so we come this morning, the third sermon in our series called Atreja's Grace, through the book of Jonah. And arguably, this is the most famous part of the book of Jonah because this is where Jonah actually goes to sleep. Um, and if you were like me growing up in Christian circles, this was the point of the story. Don't sleep because if you sleep, you can be thrown overboard and a fish will swallow you and maybe God will even rescue you this time. But I think there's something else going on in this passage that actually we all are familiar with as Nigerians. And so we call it long leg. Or for the very Christian ones among us, we say the leg of man, the hand of God. Because we believe as Nigerians that the system is stacked against us ordinary people. The powers that be, whether they be, um, you know, the politicians, the people in your village, or even the security man in the banking hall. All those people are out there to frustrate your life. And so you need long leg 
if you are ever going to do anything meaningful in this life. So long leg into university, long leg to do your visa application, long leg even in a hospital. You need long leg every time. And so I, I remember, you know, the university I went to was, um, I shall not say the name, but it's a very great school. Um, I don't need to, you know, expose bad schools. That's why I'm not saying wow. the name. Um, so the school I went to, it's somewhere in the north central part of Nigeria. And a very great part of the country. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a traditional ruler there, the Emir. And so to get in, it's so competitive because the Emir has his own list. Like, don't, don't worry about what you scored in jam. Don't worry about your post-UME score. The Emir has his own list. And in fact, one year, the rumor was like that the Emir's list was 1,000 candidates alone in the faculty I was going into. So where do you even start from? How do you even get in? And so, you know, I, um, my family members, I won't say the person, my family members said, no, no, like, ah, no, our son really did well, you know. I, I hold the highest jam record in my household. Um, <laughs> even though my wife helped me in law school, I got a higher jam score than her. That is, that's, that's all that's important. So, my family members decided that no, 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 they have to, you know, this our son did very well. There's no way he has to get into school. And so they submitted, you know, my names here and there to different places. So that, you know, all of them working together, these long legs will come through the hand of God. And as very good Nigerians we are, you know, the very good Nigerians we are, when the long leg has worked, we say, no, no, it's God. It's God that helped us. And so we go to church, we give thanksgiving, we celebrate. And why do we do this? It's funny, but why do we do this? We do this because we believe that in a society where things are stacked against us, merit is not always equitable. We believe, we know actually that sometimes what it means to get rescue, what it means to get deliverance, what it means to actually move forward has to come outside of ourselves. And I think that's what this passage before us is getting at today. The question in this passage is, how do we obtain deliverance? How do we find rescue as we journey through life? When the storms of life are coming in, how do we find rescue? And I've titled this sermon, A Salvation Without Merit. And we'll see three ways or three types of salvation that are presented in this passage. One, salvation by effort. Two, salvation by escape. And three, salvation by grace. Salvation by effort, salvation by escape, and salvation by grace. So the first one, salvation by effort. So last week we saw that, you know, there was big katakata. Like if you are traveling on water, a few of us went to um, Takwa Bay, you know, I shall not mention the particular culprit, even though the person is here, um, is here in this room. He's a very gentle man. I shall not mention his name. But we were traveling on water inside Lagos, and wind was blowing. Friends, we're not on a yacht. We're not on a very big um, um, ship. We were in a banana boat. You know what banana boat is? The type that you, you, know, you put your leg inside to enter. And wind was blowing and it was carrying us. So you can imagine how these people would have felt as they were journeying along. Jonah had left you know, all that was going on. God had you know, given him a message and he had decided to go in a direct opposite um, you know, path away from God. 
And so we come to verse 5. And verse 5 says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now you need to recognize that these guys are not JJCs. These are not the people that just graduated from sea school last week, and then, you know, they jumped into the boat and, and they started driving. No, these are very experienced sailors. In fact, it's so bad that the captain of the ship himself actually begins to panic in verse 6. Now, if you've traveled by air before, you recognize that your confidence in the air <laughs> is directly proportional to the confidence of the pilot who is taking you across. And so no matter how much turbulence you're experiencing in the air, if the, if the pilot is very calm and saying, ladies and gentlemen, please keep your seatbelts on, fasten, we're experiencing a little bit of turbulence, we'll be out of it in no time, ah, you're able to calm down. But when your pilot starts saying, everybody pray, <laughs> everybody ask God for help, you know that there is trouble, there is fire on the mountain, and this is what is happening here. It's a very terrible situation. And verse 5 tells us that what did they do? They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. In other words, these guys decided in, in order to find salvation out of this storm we are in, we have to rely on our expertise. We have to rely on our effort. And I'm sure these guys had been, you know, there's probably a manual for this thing. When you are going through a turbulent, a turbulent time, this is what you do. And they are falling back on that. And you might be wondering, eh, but isn't that what they are supposed to do? Are they meant to allow the storm to kill them? Are they meant to just allow the wind to blow them in whatever direction? But verse 6, verse 5 actually shows us why this is important. Verse 5 says, all the sailors cried out, each to their own God. And you see, friends, the gods of our own making always demand that in order for us to be saved, we must put something in before they can work for us. They always demand that you must contribute your expertise and your skill, and maybe you find deliverance. You must contribute all the things you have been taught so that you can find rescue from this situation you are in. You must throw the load overboard so that you will not drown. And this is what's going on here. There's a story of another ship that may be familiar to uh, many of us. Some of us may have seen the 1997 hit with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet which I have not seen in the last 23 years, and I'm sure I have missed nothing. So please don't come to me after service about it. But the RMS Titanic was one of the largest ships of its time. It was almost 300 meters in length. And if you don't know what that is, that is the length of three football fields put side by side. It was massive. It had a capacity for 3,000 people. And so it set out for travel in April of 1912. And after five days at sea, he hit an iceberg, and it eventually sank. And of the more than 2,000 people aboard, only a third, a little over 700 people, survived. And you can imagine all the panic, because this is not just, this is a stuff involving many people from across the world. This was one of the biggest ships of its time. This was a huge catastrophe. And so a lot of inquiries were carried out. What happened? Why did this thing go wrong? And one of the inquiries found out that the captain, Captain Smith, had failed to take proper heed of ice warnings 
The lifeboats had not been properly fouled or crewed, and the collision was the result of steaming into a dangerous area at too high a speed. The American inquiry concluded that since those involved had followed standard practice, the disaster was an act of God. The British inquiry concluded that Smith had followed long-standing practice that had not been previously shown to be unsafe. And he landed them here with more than a third of the people on board dying. Talk about effort being deadly. And this is what was going to happen to these sailors. And friends, this is what happens to us every time we are trying to find rescue. We are trying to find deliverance through our own effort, through our own expertise, through the things we know, through the contacts we have, through all the people that we you know, our social network. It's always ending in a sinking ship. So you may not even be a Christian and you're watching this and you're, and you're thinking, hmm, can I tell you that maybe even though you may not be worshipping any God, but is it possible that maybe it's your work that you're looking to save you? And you're looking to your work to save you from the ignominy of poverty and social disdain. And so you pour yourself into your work. Or maybe you're someone who is committed to the dignity of human lives and you want people to be treated well. And so you pour yourself into that. But you see, what we find is that every time we're looking for salvation and rescue from our gods, they are always asking us to work to put in our effort, to contribute our expertise. And so the problem is that these things never actually provide the salvation we are seeking. These things offer a glimmer of hope and rescue, but they never actually deliver us. And so, if, for instance, if you are looking to your work to rescue you, the problem is that it is never enough. There's nothing you have done that is never enough. You have to keep working and working and working hard so that you are not where you were yesterday, so that people will look at you as someone who is constantly moving up the ladder of progress. Or if you are someone who is involved in working and fighting for dignity of human lives, which is a good thing, which Christians should do, the problem is that it never actually solves what's deepest and what's wrong with us. I worked for a few months in the um, international humanitarian sector. And one of the things I found out is that those of us who were most committed to actually helping people, fighting for the rights of other people, were very terrible individuals. Our families, parenting, all of those things were out the window. Why? Because we're committed to actually helping other people and we're not solving, or it's not solving what's wrong, what's most wrong with us. But you see, this is not just a problem for non-Christians. This is a problem for Christians as well. Very often we say we believe the gospel or you even come to a gospel-centered church where we sing gospel-centered songs and we pray gospel-centered prayers and you listen to gospel-centered um, teaching and you go to gospel communities and yet that gospel has not penetrated your heart. I think sometimes we feel like there's just something uncomfortable about not meriting the salvation of God. We feel like I, I must do something. Like how can I just think that I don't actually merit this thing? I have to do something. I have to contribute. And so whether knowingly or unknowingly, we create all these hierarchies of what it means to actually be a good Christian. And we institute them, and we call people to follow them. 
I remember a retreat I went for a couple of years back, almost 10 years ago. And when I say retreat, I already told you where I went to school. When I say retreat, it's not all this retreat that you go to, you know, one fine place, you'll be seeing the beach, you'll be praying, the sun will rise in the morning, all of this kind of, no, it's retreat. Like you are, you are retreating from city, from life. You are retreating into the bush to seek the face of God. And I went for this retreat and, you know, we, they paired us up. We had money devotions and they paired us up. And, you know, here, here, here I was thinking that I was making progress in my spiritual work. And this guy got talking to me and he said, so how many passages of the Bible do you read each morning? How many chapters? Ah. I said I read four chapters daily. I was like, ah, four chapters. I read one chapter. And that one chapter, I stay in it. I sit there. Like, I milk it. I was like, hey, God. So this is another level. I have to get to that level. <laughs> or for some of us who are Christian parents, we believe, oh, no, no, no. Don't force your children to do anything they don't want to do. You know, provide them the um, best education. You know, girls, boys, all of them should be given equal footing. But the problem is that often we are looking for satisfaction and fulfillment through those children. Our success as parents is directly tied to how much noise they did not make in city kids today. How very well behaved they are. And so you are constantly, these kids are three, 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 four, five years old, but it doesn't matter. No, you guys, you guys, you guys, you can't do this because daddy is this, mommy is this. And we are living our lives through these children. We are constantly pushing them to do things so that we can have a standing before God. So that when people see us, they don't just see you are a good parent, but they see also you are a good Christian. And we are contributing, bringing our effort to actually save us from what's wrong with us. But the problem is that it never actually delivers us. And please listen to me. I'm not saying there's no space for effort in the Christian life. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, some of you might be thinking about, it says, work out your salvation with fair trembling. But directly linked to that, it says, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do. And so, friends, God is the one who works in us. God is the one who is at work in us. The problem with salvation by effort is that it never actually saves us. It's like spraying perfume on a dead corpse. It may cover the stench for a while, but it does not solve the decay that is eating and gnawing at our souls. There's one last picture of the Titanic. And so the Titanic sank down um, where it was in the North Atlantic Ocean. And more than, if I remember, we were over 12,000 feet below sea level. And so it was lost for many years. But in 1985, it was found. And when the Titanic was found, this was what was found. Wreck, rusting. This great, gigantic thing that had been built to show how great we are, all the efforts we can muster up as human beings. This is what happened to it. And friends, every time we're actually looking for salvation through our efforts, in the things that we're going through, in the storms of life we're experiencing, this is where we're headed. Destruction and death. But there's a second type of salvation we see in this passage, in salvation by escape. 
And so all through this chapter, chapter 1, in fact, all through the book, you might even say Jonah has been trying to escape. First, he goes in the opposite direction God has sent him to. Then he boards this merchant ship, which, as we saw in verse 5, had a lot of cargoes. And commentators have said that whether he hired it, you know, he chartered a private jet, or whether he paid and boarded the, the ship, it was an expensive venture. And so this guy is investing not just his time, his resources, his money even in escaping from God. <laughs> but then this one is actually the most amusing. Jonah actually, he's run away. Like, I don't know where he was, but for you to leave where you, were, where you are and go down to Joppa and then start heading to Tashis, is like leaving Lagos and going to Kano to board a flight to wherever in the world. But this time, the guy does something else that's most amusing. He gets on the ship, but he goes to his room to sleep. And the text says, actually, below deck. And you know, if you know a little bit about ship, what ships, what you find is that most of the rooms and other um, recreational spaces are actually below deck. And why does Jonah do this? I think there are two reasons we are presented to from Jonah's life as we look at chapters 1 to 4. First, is that Jonah is looking for salvation by escape because the pain of engaging is too much. The pain of engaging is too much. And you might remember from the first sermon, what we saw was that the Assyrians were very terrible people. Pastor Femi told us about how that they will cut off the hand of people and cut off their legs and leave the last, the other hand, and so that they can shake them in mockery as the person bleeds out to death. And so these guys were very bad people. And so God had told Jonah to go and preach to them. And Jonah was like, no, 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 no. You have to recognize what these guys are capable of doing, God. Now he's talking back to God. But it almost seems as though not just the Assyrians, but anybody who is not saved, who was not a Jew, was a trigger point for Jonah. And so he couldn't even afford to stay on deck. And he goes down to get away from them as far as possible. And there are some of us, like Jonah here, who are watching this. Life is hard. Job loss has hit. COVID has just complicated everything. Your kids are at home. Your productivity level has dropped to zero. Because your company has let people go and because they value you, they, don't, they didn't let you go. But now you are suddenly doing the job of five people. And then maybe even to complicate it, you woke up this morning and you see very bad news. And so life is just hard. Things are tough. Things are difficult. And maybe like Jonah, what you have resorted to doing is, I'm not going to engage. This is hard. I'm going below deck. I'm escaping from the reality of all that's around me. And maybe for you, your deck is not just a room. Your deck is recreational drugs, edibles. Because the pain of reality is too much. You just need to get away from this world. You need to escape. And so you resort to those things so that you can actually feel relaxed. Or maybe yours is the stress of work is too much. I don't have any meaningful relationship, but casual sex and pornography, those things are fine for me. Or whatever other things we have devised so that we can escape reality. But here's the problem, friends. Living reality does not actually change reality. It just means that you are going to confront it another time. And that's what Jonah finds here. The reality of the hardship that you're experiencing remains there. 
But secondly, I think there's also something that this does to us when we seek salvation by escape, by living reality. There's something else it does to us. The text says Jonah went below deck, or maybe your translation said Jonah went down, or Jonah had gone below. And what we find is that in the Hebrew language, that is euphemism for death. In other words, Jonah was going down to his grave by living the things that he was experiencing. And it means that every time, friends, that we live reality, we seek salvation by escape, by living reality, our soul is withering. It may not die immediately. We may not actually, even for a very long time, we may not actually die or experience loss, but our soul is shriveling. Our soul is withering. But you see, the second way Jonah, the second reason why Jonah is seeking salvation by escape is because Jonah is assured of his own destiny. So remember, Jonah was a Jew, and Jews were chosen by God irrevocably. They could not be rejected by God. And so Jews were chosen as God's royal priesthood to actually display his excellencies to the world, to show how great and marvelous God is. And so Jonah was, here's Jonah, thinking, I'm a Jew. My fate is sealed. My destiny is secured. I don't want to be contaminated with these pagan sailors. I don't need them. I'm going to stay away from them as far as possible. And he does that by going below deck. And this is very interesting because what we know about Jonah is what? He was a prophet. And if there's anybody on that ship that was meant to communicate the love and the message of God to the people on the ship, to the pagan sailors, it was Jonah. And so it's a bit ironic. In fact, the, the, the writer of the text wants us to read it in that way. When in verse 6, it is the pagan sailor who actually goes to Jonah and says, Oga, call on your God now. Can you imagine that you actually have a crusade? with people actually waiting to hear from you, but this time you're not the one preaching. They're actually asking you, tell us about your God. Call on your God. And we know that Jonah doesn't answer them. Why? Because in verses 7 to 8, after they've said this, call on your God, Jonah doesn't say anything. What does, what does he do? What do they do rather? They have to cast lots before he then confesses that I'm the one. Jonah is seeking salvation by escape. And it is still so bad because in verse 12, what does Jonah tell them the solution to, to the problem is? He says, throw me overboard. Like what, Oga? Throw me overboard. What happened to, let's turn the ship around? What happened to, let's pray and ask God for forgiveness? What happened to, I'm going to repent? His solution is, throw me overboard. Jonah wants to escape from what he's going through. Jonah wants to escape from all these people around him because he's assured of his own fate and his own destiny. And aren't we like that many times, Christians? Can I ask you, <laughs> before we laugh at Jonah and say this guy is a stupid man or is a useless prophet, he deserved what was coming to him, can I ask you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, how are you seeking salvation by escape? You see, some of us are even worse than Jonah. Shebi Jonah boarded a ship that was full of pagan sailors. Some of us have boarded a ship full of Christian sailors. And we are only in our Christian bubble. 
and we only listen to our Christian music with our Christian friends and laugh at our only Christian jokes. Why? Because we are assured that our destiny is secured. We don't need to be touched by this world. We don't need to be contaminated by all that's going on. But you see, friends, if you are offended, I'm happy you're offended because God is offended. When God saves us, when he calls us into the kingdom of his beloved son, he does that so that we can actually communicate that love to others. And I'm not saying this to castigate anyone. I'm saying this just as much for you as I am for myself. And to some of us, you know, very soberly, some of us can count on our fingers our Christian friends or our Christian acquaintances. And even for those of us who say, no, no, I have. How many times have you actually told them about the God you serve? Aren't they the ones like the pagan sailors coming to you in verse 6 saying, Oga, call on your God? Sorry, non-Christians, yes. Thank you. The Great Commission is a commission to make disciples of all nations, not just of those who are in the church and who look like us. And so it's true, it's very true that Christians are not of this world. But can I say to you, Christians are in this world. And God puts us here, not just for us to maintain our own little ecosystems and bubbles of Christianity, but to actually go out and radiate his love and his glory in our world. You see, here's the problem with salvation by escape. It actually believes that there is something in us that merits the salvation that we receive. It doesn't actually understand what it means to actually rely upon another for deliverance. Only if Jonah had remembered what the prophets, what, what the Pentateuch says in Deuteronomy 7 and 9, God was saying to the nation of Israel there, as he was giving them the law, as he was Commencing himself to them again was saying, guys, I have not chosen you because there's anything good in you. I have chosen you because I have chosen you. I have chosen to love you. That's why I have chosen you. And every time we stay in our Christian bubbles, every time we do all of these things, we are looking for salvation by escape. Escape from the ugliness of the world. Escape from the hardness of engaging with non-Christians. Escaping from the difficulty of having these conversations about God, about Christianity, all these things going on. We don't actually understand what it means to be saved without merit. And can I... Even say this, that if you're a Christian who is like that, it is very possible even that you are not even really a Christian. Why? Psalm 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, what do we do? We invite others in. Someone released their album this week, and I saw lots of people. They're just putting it up like, oh my God, this album is fire. This thing is this. This thing is that. Why? Because they had tasted something that was sweet and they wanted others to partake in it as well. And so Jonah, Jonah was seeking salvation by escape because he was pride, proudfully assured that his own eternal destiny was secure and he didn't care about the people that were going down to damnation. And every time, friends that we don't actually engage our world with the love of Christ. That's what we're doing as well. 
And I think this text actually, this passage, verse 6, actually gives us three easy tips for us escapers who want to engage, for escapers who want to become engagers. Mm, nice. Um, three things, GSC, 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 remember that. So first, get in the boat. Many of us, the problem is that we have not even, even though what Jonah was doing is wrong, he was um, escaping from God is wrong, but there was something noble about what he was doing. He got in the boat. And for some of us, that might just mean things like putting ourselves in places where non-Christians are. Get a gym subscription. Go for shoes. Find places that you know that non-Christians are. Go to watch football in, in viewing centers. Find places where you know non-Christians are and put yourself there. Get in the boat. But for some of us, what we need to do is actually stay on deck. And that means pursuing relationships. That means actually going out of our way sometimes to invite people who are non-Christians over to our house so that we can actually get relationships going, or with our neighbors, or with our work colleagues, so that we can actually know them outside of the regular bubble that we find ourselves with them in. But lastly, C, call on your God. And I think part of the problems why many of us find talking about Christ so difficult is because we feel like I have to know everything. But you see that sometimes in the Bible, the people who actually say the most powerful things about God are people who just share what God has done to them, what God has done for them. And there are many of us, as I look in this room, and as I even think about some of us who are watching online, there are many of us that God has done great things in our lives what God has rescued us from, what Christ has actually delivered us from and set us free from, those are things we can actually share with the world around us. Get in the boat, stay on deck, and call on your God. We can become engagers and not just escapees. But lastly, we see salvation by grace. Salvation by grace. And so, obviously, what Jonah and these pagan sailors needed was a taste of salvation by grace. A salvation that cannot be earned or merited by how much effort or expertise you can put into actually salvaging the situation you are in. Or that cannot be merited by how clever our efforts to actually escape from the reality of the world is. And as we'll see next week, these sailors eventually discover this saving grace when Jonah reluctantly tells them about God. But the problem is that Jonah himself, who tells these guys about this grace, doesn't actually experience or understand this grace as we'll see in chapters 3 and 4. And so we need another Jonah. We need another prophet. We need someone else who can actually not just tell us about the grace of God, who can actually... Be the grace of God and rescue those of us who need the grace of God. Friends, I'm glad to tell you this morning that this prophet actually came. God did not just leave us with failed Jonah despite how much he did. God actually gave us another Jonah. 
And this Jonah does not run away from God. He doesn't run away from the message that God has committed to him. Rather, we see in Psalm 40, verse 7 to 9, he says, I have come. My desire is to do your will. He's better than Jonah. Jonah just wants to escape from God's will. This one says, no, God, I actually desire to do your will. And he says in verse 9, I will proclaim your message. He did not just actually just even come and proclaim the message. What does this Jonah do? He actually stays with the people who need the message. And instead of sleeping like Jonah to escape the reality of the pain and of the brokenness and all that was happening, we see in Matthew 26, verse um, 36 to 46, that he actually stays awake. He invites a couple of guys, guys, let's go and pray. Because what's coming, this storm that is coming is very difficult. Let's go and pray and ask God for help. These guys fell asleep. But what did this Jonah do? This Jonah stayed awake and petitioned God for people who were using their effort to try to save themselves. When he was captured by his enemies, some people tried to save him by their own efforts. One of his disciples goes and cuts off the air of one of the people trying to capture him, tried to secure salvation by his efforts and his expertise. But what does this Jonah do? This Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do this. He actually saves the person coming to capture him and he actually gives his life for his friends. He doesn't wish death upon his enemies like Jonah was praying that these people should just die, these Assyrians should just die, these pagan sailors should just die. No, what does he do? He actually gives his life so that his enemies can be rescued. And friends, who is this Jonah? Who is this Jonah that shows us that we can be saved neither by our efforts or our expertise or how cleverly we try to escape? Who is this Jonah that forgives us even in our darkest moments? Can I introduce to some and present to us all the man Christ Jesus? Because you see, Jesus is the personification of grace. Grace is simply giving oneself to those that don't deserve it. Grace is saying, you don't merit it. You can't end this thing, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And that's what Jesus did for us, friends. On the cross, Jesus gave his life for those who seek salvation by effort and escape. And when he ascended, he gave his Holy Spirit to those who continue to seek salvation by effort and escape so that that Holy Spirit can be in them and continue to mold and shape them to people who actually not just escape from what's going around them, but engage with those who are going on around them. And can I tell you that even when we mess up, when we, as people who profess belief in salvation by grace, when we still resort to our efforts, when we still resort to escape, what does he do? He continues right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, to intercede for us. This is salvation by grace, friends. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos